miss, a, miss something? If not, let's all uh, bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, thou hast richly blessed us this morning with your word. As we heard, it's a simple word, yet so true and so applicable to our lives. Father, we pray that as we have sung in times past in an Ontario uh, midwinter sing, that we would leave here changed, that we would leave here differently in a positive way to glorify your name and to apply what we have heard. Be with us now, O Lord. Empty the vessel that is before us all, and may your Holy Spirit be our teacher and not himself. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Open the hearts of all that your name would be glorified and lifted up. Amen. My mind went back and forth both um, this morning and from Wednesday because they, a lot of points have been hit on things that we've already known, things that we have already learned about. And the Apostle Paul says for him to repeat some of these things, it's, it's not grievous. He doesn't find it burdensome or grievous that he would repeat some of these things, but for us it is beneficial and edifying. So I'd like to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, which was already alluded, alluded upon this morning, referred to, um, and also perhaps to, to continue on the Beatitudes. We ended up with... <clears throat> the beatitude of um, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. So the last of the seven, but then comes this eighth and ninth combination of, of a, a blessing, how blessed to be, not what we do or not what we are inside, but what happens to us when we are in these situations. So it's like a passive if you will, beatitude, but we draw from the other beatitudes that we have just read and studied in previous messages. So let's start from chapter 5 of Matthew, and we can read from verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 5 of Matthew. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, 
but under a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I read up to and including verse 16, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. After all these beautiful attitudes of the kingdom, these attitudes which should describe a kingdom child, remember that, someone that is a member of the kingdom of God, a son and a daughter of the living God. These are very powerful statements. Simple, but powerful. You know, um, I don't know how one feels about it, but when we talked about the Messiah, Handel was supposed to have written that Rotario in a, in a way that the common person could sing it. Takes a lot of practice, but it's very powerful when the common person can sing it. It's even more powerful, if you will, when a child of the kingdom can present himself, can witness for the Lord Jesus Christ through this light that is not to be hid under a bushel, but is set on a hilltop for all men to see how powerful that can be. You know, we sang this afternoon in the choir the song, Lead Kindly Light. I was just glass, uh, glancing at it because I wanted to see the, the author's name. I, I knew it was a, a Newman, but his name was John Henry Newman. And he had written this, as mentioned in times past, because he was, if you will, stranded off the coast of Portugal on his way back to England after looking for some spiritual experience in Rome, and he didn't find it. And he was basically on a ship that was adrift. There was no wind for seven days. And while he was there, he felt stranded, abandoned, lonely, um, and, and eventually he got led home. But the words that came to his mind... And when he went back, he penned a poem, was lead kindly light. He says, though I am far from home, he was stranded, yet he was looking for direction from God to lead him back when everything seemed dark, when everything seemed bleak. And I realize it came out of a poem, a poetry book, or a poem, a book of poems, that was called, I think, if I'm not mistaken, was it the, the Pillar of the Cloud or the Pillar of the Light, the Fire? Because he saw in God all the guidance, all the direction he needed in this life. Though he was lost even in Rome, looking for a new experience, an uplifting experience. But it's God that led the nation of Israel out of Egypt a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of the cloud by day. 
And he was saved while God led him. And so he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. That's a great responsibility to us, dear ones. It's a great responsibility to us as believers. We sang a song many, many years ago. We are the only Jesus that men may ever know. We are the only Bible that men may ever read because they see us and how we behave and how we act. How we respond, as we heard this morning, to injustice. How we respond to infractions between each other. And Jesus said, you know, except our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, we shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. Our life needs to be pure, transparent, as we heard. It needs to be honest. It needs to be men, when they see us, need to see Jesus. And it's not an act like the hypocrites put on. It's the real thing. Now, Jesus, after giving these beautiful, wonderful beatitudes and, and aspects of a Christian walk, how we are to behave and conduct and, and respond, says, didn't say, blessed are, where is it? Blessed are men, blessed are ye, if men shall revile you and if they persecute you. He didn't say that. He said, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and when men shall persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He was saying, expect it. There's a very interesting verse in the book of the letter to the Philippians by the Apostle Paul in chapter 1. Paul, from a jail cell, writes to this church at Philippi, a church that had relatively little problems compared to, for example, the Corinthians and the Galatians. He says this, in chapter 1, verse 25, and I'll read on. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and, continue, abide and continue with you for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. He was expecting to come back to them. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs and that ye stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't be afraid of their faces. I think it was what God told uh, um, Jeremiah. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a token of perdition. It's a sign of their petition when there's so much against uh, their lot, if you will, they're um, being lost, but to you of salvation and that of God. What he's saying is, 
when we are persecuted, when we have adversaries, when we have um, opposition, it's a sign to us that we're in the right place. It's a token to us. It's a sign that we are on the right, are on the right course, on the right track. So well, anyone can get persecuted. Let me just give you another uh, scripture that the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians. In, in Galatians chapter 5, he says this. And he's talking to a church that had already begun to believe a different gospel. That you have to perform works and circumcise your children in order to be saved, in order to be accepted before God. And he had a very harsh letter to them where he says, you know, if, if, if an angel come from heaven and give you another gospel that you have not received, let him be accursed. They're strong words. But then, in some ways, he was, it seems that he was, either people were saying this about him, or even the Apostle Paul believes in circumcision. And Paul says, how can that be? I don't know the exact circumstances, but this is what he says in verse 10 of chapter 5. I have confidence in you. Through the Lord that ye be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall be, bear his judgment, whosoever he be. There was a false teacher that was coming through the Galatian churches, and he was telling them this false gospel. Verse 11 says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? If some people say, yeah, Paul believes in keeping the law, Paul believes in circumcising your children, that you can be accepted before God. He says, if that's the case, why do I suffer persecution? If I indeed preach circumcision, because this is what these Jews want me to do, and if I don't, they'll persecute me. He says, then is the offense of the cross ceased. This is evidence that he is not preaching circumcision, that the fact that he's being persecuted for what he is preaching, that you don't need circumcision, you don't need works, you don't need anything else like the Colossian church was trying to be taught by these false teachers. You need to add this in the holy days and all these austere fasts and worshipping of angels if you want to be accepted before God. And the Apostle Paul said, stop, that's not true. It's a false gospel. He was being persecuted because he was teaching that we don't need to be saved by the law. That was evidence to him that he's on the right side. Now, go back to, to uh, Philippians. Continue on in verse uh, Philippians chapter 1. Don't be terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you, unto you Christians... And me, it is given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. Christ just doesn't want us to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a gift. When you are given something, it's a gift. You've been given this gift to suffer for his sake. 
having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. I am evidence in prison. I am suffering for the faith for your sake. And he said the same thing to the Colossians. How great a conflict I have for you, Colossians. I have this great struggle, this great battle, because I want you to be spared from, this, from these false teachings and only to believe in the Christ who died on the cross. I only preach him and, and, and him crucified. And that's why I am being persecuted. That's why I'm in jail. Jesus said, you have all these attributes, you have all these characteristics, all these beautiful attitudes, and you know what? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer persecution. Paul the Apostle says in his letter, was it to Timothy? All, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. Have you suffered persecution? We were asked this question at uh, CFG, was it last week or the week before? Has anyone here suffered persecution? Were you mocked? Were you shamed? Were you opposed? Did they know you were a Christian? If they didn't, then the offense, the offense of the cross has ceased. If they didn't, then the offense of the cross has ceased. Why? Because there's no opposition to them. If you talk to, you don't have to talk to them, you can see for yourself, but if you did talk to, to people that didn't believe in God, I remember being in high school, and what I would consider was one of my very good friends who was also an atheist. And he would mock me, and he'd make fun of me, or make fun of my beliefs. And yet, I didn't back down. I knew, I knew in my heart who created the world, who, where we came from. I believed that firmly. And I felt belittled. He was the smartest individual in the class, probably in the school at that time. His father was a doctor. He was a doctor. His brother became a doctor. They were very smart, very intelligent, very well, very well educated. And I felt that, you know, you're my friend, come on. But he kept on coming up. One day he phones me, and I told this story before, I won't make it long, but one day he phones me from the Toronto airport and he says, Dragon, that was my name, Dragon, I need to talk to you. I said, what about? I want to talk to you about the Bible. What? I met this group in California, and I won't go into that because they were, they were a cult. But after even being exposed to the gospel, their gospel, he had different ideas about does God exist? And he began to believe in the Messiah, but he, he believed in the wrong Messiah. And he said, I was a fool. He told me this. In the car on the way home from the airport to Huntingwood Drive, he said, I was a fool not to have believed in something so rich as the Bible. Have we suffered this harassment 
this persecution. It is persecution. It could be physical. It could be verbal. It could be emotional. It could be spiritual. But everyone that's, that, that lives godly shall suffer persecution. And God says in Philippians 1, it's being given to you a gift as a token that you're on the right side. We have many examples of that. Paul was one of them. He went from prison to prison. He suffered stonings and shipwreck, and he suffered uh, 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 whippings. How many, he said? Many a time. And yet he came out back, bouncing back, so resilient, because he had a passion and full faith that God is in this, and he, he's doing this for this, his Lord. He said in Colossians uh, chapter, was it one or two? that the, 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 the beatings that were meant for Christ, I took up to fill up the measure because he was against him, not against Paul. He was against Christ, and he couldn't get Christ. He went for Paul. When I think of the heroic events, even in these world's calamities where people are dying in wars, and the mother jumps and shields the children, taking the hit. Paul was more than happy to be persecuted and to, to be, suffer persecution for the sake of the one that died for him. Just this morning, I want to share with you something that I just found this morning that, that I found on the website. There's an apostolic Christian church group where a lot of things of the past have been shared. I've never, I've never seen this story before. Maybe you have. And I don't even know if it's Nazarenes. But it talks about this group in Serbia it was written by a narrative by Dr. Zeman from Belgrade in 1877. In 1877, this is what he wrote. He wrote this in a... Um, it was published in the Christian, a journal back in 1877, published at the Orph Orphan's Printing Press, Eliominster in 1877, July 26. And he was reporting a story that he was very much involved in. This is what he said. There are here in Serbia about nine families marked by the public as peculiar and very pious. From all I have been able to learn, they belong to a sect in doctrine and practice very similar to those of the worthy friends in England, these few here are in humble circumstances, but much respected. One is a bookbinder, the others small farmers. They have come repeatedly in conflict with the law of the country in consequence of their own stern refusal to carry arms. I had heard that during the late war, three had been sentenced to be shot. But Prince Milan, on the occasion of the birth of the Prince Alexander, 
changed their sentence to 20 years imprisonment. Today I visited them in the fortress. I found the governor most favourably disposed towards them. He told me that two had just served five years for refusing to carry arms. I asked the governor what he thought about them. They were very foolish, he thought, but certainly they were men of excellent quality. Lifting his hat with a bow, he said, I respect them. The one was two years factotum, that is an employee who does all kinds of work. While serving his five years, a post of confidence, a prisoner seldom gets here. But sir, you could trust them with 14,000 ducats. I, as governor, never had prisoners like those. Though men of the highest rank of life have come here as state, as state prisoners, I was anxious to see them. And the governor accompanied me into the prison yard. They were out. And the governor explained to me that they were sentenced to labour, but he used them mostly for field or garden work. I say this because we know some of these people. We know who they are. They're our parents. They're our grandparents. They're our uncles and aunties. They were sent here. They came, clank, clank, heavy chains upon their feet, clothed in ominous grey prison garb, led by an armed guard. Only two came. One is a patient in the Lazarus, wherever that is. Those two neither took ill or looked ill or downcast, just the reverse. Their faces had calm, peaceful looks. Doesn't it sound like Daniel and his three friends? They were persecuted. They were put in jail. They were threatened. And yet, they came out, their countenances much better than all the others that took all these luxuries and, and dainties from the king. This is what really, as a reflection that brought me back to Matthew chapter 5, they did not complain. Neither did they burst out with a show of their martyrdom. They weren't, if you will, being ostentatious about their martyrdom. Look, we're prisoners. We're, some people revel in that. No. Reserved and exceedingly meek, they answered questions. My question simply, and confirming what I had already heard, that they would rather die than carry arms because God had forbidden to murder. The chains in the prison they could endure, but to disobey God would not and dare not. Did they feel unhappy? There were tears in their eyes. But said the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, has told his disciples beforehand that they would have to suffer. And then, eternal life. I asked if I could do anything for them. They looked long and steadily at each other and then very timidly asked if I could obtain permission for them to read the Bible in their cells. We've heard the story of Brother Jaco hiding the Bible in the post of the fence. 
We've heard of stories of my father-in-law, Sister Millie's dad, who had his Bible smuggled in, what's it, in a, in a jar of honey? And we have it free. We can read it any time of the day, any time of the night. We can read it, but do we? Do we realize the preciousness, how they recognized the preciousness and the blessing they had when they could read a Bible? I cannot tell what I I felt as I stood before those martyrs. I had come to show them with much sympathy, but I assure you, I felt that I could bow down and thank them for the privilege of this interview. The governor promised me the Bible should be given to them and that he would gladly speak for them if a petition for pardon was sent to the government as far as the prison rules allow. I made every arrangement to make their lot there as comfortable as possible. Dr. Zeman, writing soon after on his way back to the vicinity of war, adds the following. Besides the permissions for the prisoners to read their Bibles, I also succeeded in getting their chains off And the Society of Friends in London have sent through the Lord Derby a petition to Prince Milan of which I take a copy to the princess asking for their deliverance. This is taken from the the journal called The Christian, July 26, 1877, number 199, published at the Orphans Printing Press in Leo. Minster. It was sort of ironic that his name was also who founded this orphanage was Henry Stanley Newman, not John Henry Newman. He set up a printing works to generate income for the orphanage and provide orphans with a trade and by extension a future. Can you see how powerful The simple words of Christ can be. How how bright a light it can shine from the top of a hill to reach thousands and millions of people if we only keep the simple gospel truths that Christ gave us. It's very humbling. I'm going to conclude with this. We will, become, we will be persecuted. We've had many that have been persecuted, beginning with uh, James, who was beheaded for, for his faith in, in Acts chapter 12. And then we had, well, before that was even Stephen, who was stoned for his uh, commitment to Christ in chapter 7 of Acts, then James in chapter 12. And then one by one, Christ said they would suffer. J- John himself suffered, but he never, to our knowledge, was, was martyred. As the others were. But this is what Jesus says at the end of chapter 5 of Matthew. You have heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thine neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Why? that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do you not even publicans the same? And if you salute your brothers only, do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is a simple gospel. It's not complicated. The question is, how much do we love our Lord Jesus Christ? How much do we want to be like God who is in heaven is perfect? Are we willing to lay down our lives for the Lord? Are we willing to suffer mockery and, 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 and slander and accusations and, and even physically for the name of Jesus Christ? The writer of Hebrews says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. I know you're going through a hard time, but you haven't resisted yet to blood. What about those that have gone on before you? The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12. What about them? Many were sawn asunder, were killed, were stoned, were whatever, hungered, and yet they were faithful. And then comes eternal life, as these witnesses in 1877 said. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I hope it's an encouragement to us that we may realize that we are a blessed people. We haven't yet resisted to blood, but the time will come for those that are truly the disciples of God when they have a chance to stand up for the truth and, 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 and receive the reproach that fell on him that would fall on them and go out the camp, as we heard this past Wednesday and last week, go out the camp and suffer with Christ. What a glorious end. What a glorious end that will be for us. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Brother, please find a hymn. Dear, dear holy and mighty Lord, we thank you, God, for this day that you have blessed us, God. We know that there's many that want to be here or are struggling to come, and we thank you, God, that you've blessed us to be able to come this day. Lord, we thank you for the time that you've given us and, and freedom to be able to come here and talk to each other without pressure and, and persecution, Lord, as many have experienced God and we pray that you may help us to take advantage of it Lord help us to take this time to grow spiritually and to invest our lives in what's worth it and we pray Lord that when we have the resources to grow that we may use it to honor you and to guide others towards you we pray that you may be with Eric as he goes to Romania, and uh, we pray that you may uh, guide the rest of this day as we go through it. And we pray that, Lord, we know that if we love those who love us, what reward will we get in return? But if we love those who hate us, God, 
it impacts them in a different way, Lord, and we know that you can work with that. We pray that you may help us to show the love of Jesus to those who don't know you and to place us in situations that even if it's uncomfortable, Lord, you may work and make it to your glory. We pray this in all, all, of the, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all aware of the, well, most of us are aware of the history of the Nazarene faith in Europe. Somewhere in the early to mid-1850s, Samuel Froelich converted from the state church and suffered persecution because he did so, because they were not upholding the teachings of Christ, so much so that even his marriage was not recognized by the state. He passed on the faith to passing or Hungarians that he had met. I think one of them was Bela, who then passed on the gospel as taught by him to the Serbians in Yugoslavia, and the, and the faith flourished. At one stage, it is estimated by some estimates, 40,000 Nazarenes, whether just in Serbia, Vojvodina, 18,000, and in the rest of Europe, that spread from that preaching of, of Samuel Froehle. And with it comes persecutions. Jesus said to his disciples, those that follow me, those that forsake mother and brother and sister and father and so forth, for my sake, because there's opposition to them in their own homes, for my sake, shall in this life receive houses and, and fathers and mothers and so forth and lands and in the life to come, eternal life. What a bonus. What a bonus. He has promised us blessings here on the earth with suffering. With suffering, Paul promised the same thing. Together, we, we, will, we will make it. We must. With suffering. Yet, that suffering will be joyous as many rejoice to die for the Lord, to suffer with the Lord. Oh, that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection and be made conformable to his death. That's what Paul, the apostle, prayed. Do we have that faith? Do we have that firm hope that there will be that blessed land? What a day that will be. When our Jesus we shall see. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service. Perhaps we can sing God be